The scripture reading for this morning is Genesis chapter 21, verses 22 through 34. Please stand for the reading of God's word. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So last month, around 12,000 evangelical church leaders gathered in Louisville for the Together for the Gospel conference. Over the course of three days, there were almost 12,000 <laughs> pastors, and think of all the talking and very little listening that was going on, right? Over 12,000 pastors and elders and deacons and youth pastors and church planters, and they were all concentrated in downtown Louisville around the convention center. And there was a guy who was, you know, among that crowd who wrote an article that I read this week. And he said, you know, on day three of the conference, I was sitting there and I thought, I wonder what kind of impact we have had, the nearly 12,000 of us, on the coffee shops and the restaurants and the other small businesses that are concentrated in this 20 to 30 square blocks right here around the convention center? What, what kind of impact have we had? Do people even know who we are? And what was their experience of us? And so I imagine he must have decided to skip out on the rest of the conference because he said that he and his buddy rented scooters and started driving around to hit these different coffee shops and the different restaurants and asked them, you know, really these two questions. How were you treated by the mass amounts of people trying to purchase food or coffee? And then second, did you know why the large groups of people were here in town? Their findings were not encouraging. They really weren't. Uh, one server, when asked, how were you treated, very quickly responded, not well and rude. And when asked if she knew why they were there, she said they knew, she knew that they were Christians. A host at a different restaurant said the crowds were overwhelming, but the people's attitudes were good. But when asked if he knew why they were there, he said he thought it had something to do with God, but he wasn't sure. Uh, a server at another restaurant said the patrons had left the place a mess, and she had no idea why they were there. A barista at a coffee shop said without hesitation that she had been treated very rude, 
and that she thought they were all there for some kind of Jesus convention. 12,000 Christian believers concentrated around a convention center in Louisville, 20 to 30 square blocks. How were they known? If this little informal survey is any indication, they were not known as those whom God is with. The people that they were among experienced nothing of the blessing that is meant to flow from those who claim the name of Christ, and they didn't hear anything about the truth of Jesus Christ. Well, in our passage for this morning, we read of Abraham's interaction with a pagan king king named Abimelech. Now, Abraham and Abimelech have something of a history. And we're going to talk about that. We saw it back in chapter 20, but we'll talk about it again this morning a little bit. But that history informs both the observation that Abimelech makes, you, Abraham, are one whom God is with in all that you do. But it also informs the request that Abimelech makes. Swear to me that you won't deal with me falsely. Both his observation and his request reveal a great deal about how Abraham lived in the world. I mean, remember, Abraham had been saved by faith. Abraham had been called by God to be a blessing to the nations. Was he a blessing to this pagan king? Why did Abimelech say, God is with you in all that you do, but why did he also have to say to him, Don't deal with me falsely. Like Abraham, we have been saved by faith. We are called by God to be a blessing. We've been blessed by God with salvation. We're called to be a blessing. Jesus is saying as much when he says that we're to be salt and light in the world. How are we known by our neighbors? Are we known by them as those whom God is with? Abimelech's interaction with Abraham helps us to answer that question, so we're going to consider that under the following three headings. To be known as those whom God is with. Our lives must be a blessing. Secondly, our character must be like Christ. And then third, our worship must bear witness to his grace in our lives. So our lives must be a blessing, our character must be like Christ, and our worship must bear witness to the work of his grace in our lives. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us this morning. Lord, this is not just some random interaction between Abraham and a a local king. Lord, this this is informative for us. It's challenging for us. It calls us to consider very deeply how we are perceived by those around us how well we do or don't fail, you know, how, how, how poorly we fail to represent you in the world. Lord, bring your spirit, help us to be convicted. Lord, I pray that you would also build us up, that you'd help us to live more faithfully in this world for your glory. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if we're going to be known as those whom God is with, our lives must be a blessing to those around us. So think back to the the history that Abimelech and Abraham have. It's back in chapter 20. We studied it uh, a few weeks ago. Um, Abraham, you know, was was, uh, 
sojourning and he was concerned about um, his wife being taken and Abraham being killed. And so you'll remember he said to Abimelech, or actually he said to Sarah, say to Abimelech, you're my sister. And, and that's exactly what happened. Abimelech took Sarah into his home. Sarah had said, you know, I'm Abraham's sister. He's my brother. And God had afflicted Abimelech in some way. And, and we know that by the end of the passage in chapter 20, he had afflicted uh, the women in Abimelech's uh, household in his kingdom. They were unable to uh, conceive and bear children. And God had confronted Abimelech and said, that woman is another man's wife. And Abimelech, of course, responded, went to Abraham and said, why have you done this thing? <laughs> You've done something that shouldn't be done. And, and Abraham said, well, I just kind of thought there's no fear of God in this place. So here we go. And of course, we saw when we looked at that passage that there's actually more fear of God in Abimelech than there was in Abraham, the one who actually followed God. And you remember that what God said to Abimelech is return Sarah to her husband and then he said to Abimelech, go to Abraham the prophet that he might pray for you that the people in his kingdom might be healed. And that happened. Abimelech went to Abraham, Abraham prayed, and the people in Abimelech's kingdom were healed. The women were able to conceive. And so how is it that Abimelech knew Abraham to be one whom God was with, it was through the healing that came to Abimelech and his kingdom. Abimelech learned something of the goodness of God, of the power of God to be sure, but his goodness, something of his grace, something of his mercy, some of the healing that he brings as a result of Abraham's interaction with him. Abimelech knew Abraham's God to be with Abraham because of the goodness that Abraham's God had shown to Abimelech. Or in other words, Abraham, the man who was blessed by God, was a blessing to Abimelech. And so we need to ask the question, what would our neighbors say concerning us? We too are blessed in order to be a blessing. We're called to live as God's representatives in the world. We're called to take his truth into the world. We're called, as, as Jesus said, to be salt and light. Salt, as you know from that, that great passage in, in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus says we're to be the salt of the earth, salt has a preserving effect. This world that is decaying because of sin, Christians are called to, we're called to rub ourselves into this world so that we can, as we live out the Christian life, have something of, of a preserving effect around us. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. Our, our words are meant to bring illumination concerning the truth of who God is in a world that is under the darkness of, of sin and cut off from God. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to be a blessing to those around us. And so this is a point where we just have to stop and ask, how are we doing? Think about your own neighbors. And we also need to think about our neighbors around 805 Blossom. Would their testimony be, we know you to be people whom God is with because of the way in which we've experienced the goodness of God through you? 
We know you to be people whom God is with because we have been blessed by you. Could your neighbors say that? Could my neighbors say that? As a result of the ways in which, you know, perhaps we've brought meals to them when they were sick or, or when somebody new has moved into the neighborhood, we've been the first to reach out and welcome them and offer them a meal and some hospitality. When there's someone in the neighborhood who, who needs help with something, we're quick to look for opportunities to do that. I'm convicted right now by the fact that I so rarely do that. I mean, I, I need to ask the question, perhaps you do, and we do as a church concerning 805 Blossom and the neighbors around us, if we were to leave, would we be missed? Would people feel as though there's a void as a result of our absence? Because the blessing that they have experienced, the goodness, the, the witness of God with us that has overflowed to them is no longer there. Would, would that even register with people? In your neighborhoods, in my neighborhood, in our neighborhood. Think about the pocket of homes that are, that are right out the exit between our parking lot and Winton. Think about the Browncroft neighborhood across the street. I think about the nearly 80 homes on the two streets that are just to the east of us. Think of the apartment complex that is less than a quarter mile away. And the nursing home that is less than 500 feet beyond the apartment complex. These are very diverse areas when you take them all into account. Diverse on many different levels. Racially, socioeconomically, culturally, age diversity. All these ways in which we have neighbors around us. And if we were to shut our doors tomorrow, would any of them say, what happened to those people through whom we are experiencing something of what it means to be in a relationship with God and be blessed by him. This, this should be convicting for us. Now, we have the spirit of God dwelling in us. This is the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We have opportunities to partner with God in what he is seeking to do in our community around us and you and your neighbors around you. We're not called to do something that God isn't already moving ahead of us in order to do, to prepare hearts, to prepare minds, to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. So out of this conviction that perhaps we feel, you know, may it be that we see the opportunity that God is calling us into. And if that is something that you want to be a part of figuring out for Grace Church, let me encourage you to join our outreach team. Contact the church office. Talk to Dave Benetti. One of the things that we must do as we think about being God's people in this place, right here on this strip of land, this three and a half acres, that by God's grace, God has given to us, what will it look like for us to be known as those whom God is with? To the people in those homes over there, in that neighborhood back there, along those two streets right to the east, the apartment complex less than a quarter mile away, and the nursing home just a stone's throw beyond that. And what will that look like for you in your neighborhoods? 
This is what our outreach team needs to be about, and we need your help. If, if you're stirred in any way, like, I want to be a part of helping make that happen, please let me know. We need your help. We, too, are called to be a blessing. If we are going to be known as those whom God is with, our lives must be a blessing. Secondly, our character must be like Christ. So let's go back to Abimelech's request. Verse 22, at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. And Abimelech experienced that because of Abraham's prayer and the healing that that brought to Abimelech's people. How incongruent is verse 23? Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me. You realize what Abimelech is saying. Abraham, I know God is with you. I'm not sure I can trust you. Those two things should not be together in the hearts of the people of God. But that is how Abimelech had been dealt with by Abraham. Abraham had deceived Abimelech. It brought great pain into Abimelech's household because Abraham lied and dealt falsely with him. This is not the way it ought to be. Now, to Abraham's credit, you know, through the rest of the passage, we read, you know, he promises not to deal falsely with Abimelech. He, he, you know, when, when Abimelech's servants take a well, Abraham doesn't just say, we're at war, guys. Let's go kill all the Abimelech's servants. He goes to Abimelech and says, hey, you know, there's this thing. We've got to work this out. And, and, and Abraham actually, you know, is the one who sacrifices a lot of resources. He gives oxen and he gives sheep and he gives these seven ewe lambs when in reality it was Abimelech's servants who were in the wrong, right? So Abraham reflects more of the character of Christ as we make our way through this passage. But let's go back to the initial request and ask again, should that have had to happen? Should a pagan king have had to approach a man of God asking no longer to be deceived? How are we known by our dealings with people? I mean, we individually, we as a church, not just Grace Church, but the church of Jesus Christ, how are we known? Are we known as those who speak the truth, who do not deal falsely with others, who are even willing to take a hit, like Abraham took a hit, in order to bless others and deal well with them? Are we? Or are we those who will make sure that if anyone's going to be taken advantage of in a business transaction, it won't be us? We need to speak the truth. We also need to speak the truth in love. Paul says that in Ephesians 4, 15. It's easy to do one of those without the other, isn't it? It's easy to speak the truth to someone that you don't love. It's very easy to avoid speaking the truth at all when it's somebody that you love. It's especially hard to speak the truth in love when you're speaking the truth in love to someone who is reviling you. And I think we're entering into a season, we've been in it for a long time, it's just been brought to a focal point with the leak concerning uh, the potential overturning a Roe versus Wade. Now, we know that, we don't know that that's going to happen yet. We're praying, of course, that it will. We recognize that that is just one step that is 
We pray a series of steps that will continue on cascading at the state level so that this this evil that has led to tens of millions of fellow image bearers being killed will be brought to an end. That That is our prayer. But with this release from the Supreme Court, we are hearing, and we shouldn't be surprised, a great deal of, of vitriol and, and, and hatred directed toward Christians. How will we respond? How will we respond? How will we respond if, in fact, the Supreme Court decision is that Roe v. Wade ends up being overturned? How will we respond if, in fact, it ends up not being the case for whatever reason, whenever that uh, judgment is finally revealed? How will we respond in either one of these ways? Scripture gives us ways to respond that reflect the character of Christ. Think of a couple key passages that it will be good for us to hold on to in these days. Romans 12, 17 to 18, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do that to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, it's very important to say that living peaceably does not mean compromising. Living peaceably does not mean failing to speak truth in the face of evil. Living peaceably does not mean that we will go along in doing something that God forbids if the state says, You must do this thing that God forbids. Nor does it mean that we will fail to do that which God requires if the state says you can no longer do that which God requires. We will stand in opposition to anyone who would keep us from worshiping God and serving him the way scripture commands us to. But in doing these things, how will we be known? Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. There is a way to speak truth. There is a way to call for change. There is a way to give thanks when that change comes and continue to work for even greater change that reflects the character of Christ and doesn't look like what we see so often in social media. We don't need to revile when reviled. We can respond with grace, imitating and reflecting the character of Jesus Christ, not just in our words, but with our actions. That's why we give thanks for the work of Compass Care and the ways in which they are coming alongside women who are considering abortion so that they can know not only that there is another way, but there are people who care for them and there's a God who loves them. We need to pray that that ministry and countless others like it throughout the country throughout the world will flourish because imitating Christ in the world is not just about our words it's about our works as well Peter in 1 Peter 3 15 to 17 in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect Peter was writing to the church in Rome You know what was happening in Rome in the first century. Nero was on the throne. Christians were being used as torches. And Peter is saying to Christians in that environment, 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. That's Paul in Philippians 4. Peter is saying, deal with all people with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, not if, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior, conduct, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So these are timeless truths for every age. I read an article um, earlier this week in which a Christian writer was saying, you know what, that, uh, that approach of you're kind of engaging with culture and, and apologetics, seeking to make a defense in which we're really trying to um, you know, demonstrate some measure of, of gentleness and respect, um, that can no longer apply in the age in which we're in. I'm thinking, what? I mean, when, when Paul said, let your gentleness be evident to all, was that, like, is there a, a missing, does that guy have a manuscript that we're all missing that says, let your gentleness be evident to all unless you live in 21st century America, and then all bets are off? No. Again, we pray for the end of the deaths of countless unborn people. We speak the truth where the truth must be spoken. We stand against that which is opposed to God, and yet we do so as Christ demonstrated to us and as the word of God commands us. If we are to be known as those whom God is with, our lives must be a blessing, and our character must be like Christ. Third and finally, our worship must bear witness to his grace in our lives. I said at the beginning, this is where it starts. If we're going to live as God's people in the world, it starts as being God's people before him in worship. Everything flows out of love for God that is offered back to him in worship with our lips, with our lives throughout the week. Abraham worships at the end of this passage. And I think for Abraham, as for us, that's the key to everything. The key to faithful living is knowing and loving the God who has known and loved us. Everything flows out of that truth. I think of the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18. You can go back and read that passage later, right? Prophets of Baal on um, you know, Mount Carmel, and, and they're cutting themselves, and they're crying out for Baal to bring down fire, and, the, and they, they wore themselves out you know, doing that throughout the whole morning and into the evening. And I think of that compared with Abraham at the end of this passage who plants a tree and worships the everlasting God. Complete and total difference. How often does our worship, the ways in which we think about God, look more like the mindset that says, I have to do something in order to get God to act, rather than I am the one who worships, the one who has made promises that will endure forever. God is the everlasting God. This is the first time in Scripture that God is referred to as the everlasting God. It's a word that means eternal, unchangeable. We saw it in the call to worship from Psalm 100. The Lord is good and his love endures forever. That's the same word that you find here when it comes to 
God's name being the everlasting God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's the God that Abraham knew. Abraham was still sojourning. See that in verse 34. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. And yet he could plant a tree and he could worship the everlasting God because the everlasting God had made promises to him about that land. This is going to be your land, Abraham. Abraham, this will be the land of your descendants after you. This is my promise to you, Abraham, and my promises won't fail because I am the everlasting God. I'm unchangeable, I'm eternal. So Abraham could live and sojourn, <laughs> plant a tree. Listen, God has made promises to us. And when it comes to a land-type promise, God has said, the meek shall inherit the earth. This earth will one day be ours. And God has made promises like that that will not fail because he does not change. That truth ought to shape the way in which we live now. What will enable us to live as those who are a blessing to others? To, to give away our possessions, even if God should call it, but certainly to give of our, our time and our energy and our, our dollars whenever it need be. It's the fact that we've already got the earth in waiting for us. And we have our everlasting God who will never change. This shapes the way we think about our time now. Such that in our time of sojourning, which we are in now, until that day that Jesus comes back and all things are made new, we too can be planting trees. I think whenever we live faithfully for Christ in the world, it's like a tree that's being planted. This tree, this tamarisk tree, was just a symbol. This is God's faithful promise to me. He will not fail. This land will one day belong to my descendants. I'm going to plant a tree here. And I think whenever we represent Christ faithfully in the world, whenever we live for his glory and not our own, whenever we take the low path, whenever we go low in order to go high, whenever we're willing to serve as Jesus served, we're planting trees. We're giving little pictures, symbols concerning the truth of who God is and the promises that he has made to his people. We worship and serve the everlasting God. We relate to him as ones who are saved by grace, not having to earn his favor. And that leads to an entirely different way of living in the world, a way that gives people a sense of what it means to relate to by grace, a holy God. Grace that pours through us and in some way is a blessing to those around us. Words that speak truth that are scalpels and not swords. And deeds that give picture, people a picture of who Jesus Christ is. To be known as those whom God is with, our lives must be a blessing, our character must be like Christ, and our worship must bear witness to his grace in our lives. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we, we pray that you would help us to uh, and just live differently. Lord, we, we are so about ourselves. And, um, and Lord, we don't see the opportunities that you're giving us all around us to, to be a blessing. Lord, may it be that this church and those who call this church home as we live in our communities and deal with our neighbors and our coworkers and, and, and uh, clerks at Wegmans and wherever we may be, Lord, I, may, I pray that it would just be known that when you're dealing with a follower of Christ, you're dealing with someone who is, is a blessing, is looking for opportunities to, to love, who is always treating others with respect and gentleness, who, who speaks the truth in a way that brings clarity and, and conviction, but does so with love. Lord, ultimately, that in all things, we point people to Jesus, our only hope for salvation. Oh, God, would you make us people like that? Lord, in short, would you make us people who faithfully follow you? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.